Hello and welcome to Reformed Podmatics, a weekly podcast hosted by Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. This podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Zach. And I'm Pastor Mark. And today we will be digging into, as you can see from our title, the idea of ministry in a rural context, contexts across the country uh, and around the world that are Mm -hmm. often off the beaten path and in smaller towns. We know that the Lord tells us to go into all places, to all nations, and to all peoples. And so this includes not only the major cities, uh, not only the the big urban or even suburban contexts, but also to small towns uh, across the globe where there will be less people. Um, And so today we're going to be talking about the different blessings of ministry in small towns, the different challenges that we face as pastors and as lay Christians. And we're going to be talking about our own context, and we hope that this is a uh, episode that brings a lot of edification to everyone who's listening, who's thinking, especially those who are listening uh, from small towns and mm-hmm. think, are thinking about how they can uh, best be faithful to the Lord in their time and in their place. And so it might be good to start out our conversation, I think, Mark, with talking about our own personal history when it comes to small towns. Uh, I come from a town called Kingsburg, California. If you were to look it up on Google, you'd probably find that it's about, last I checked, 16 or so thousand people. Uh, It's not very big. It's about a half an hour away from the nearest uh, city, which is Fresno, California. And so it is pretty much a small town, at least as far as California goes. Our small towns are different than the small yep. towns of other parts of our country. I know that and to be Canada a fact. especially. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it definitely had that small town sense where people knew each other and there were strong uh, community ties and there was a lot of agriculture. That's something that people don't often think about when they think of California. You may hear that we're from a town called Ripon, California, and you may think, oh, California, big cities, uh, West Coast beaches, everybody (laughs) surfs. Uh, No, it's actually not like that. The Central Valley is a unique uh, part of our state. It's a big part of our state, and it's one of the biggest parts of the world in terms of agriculture cultural production and fruit and vegetables and things like that. And so we come from a relatively rural context. And so this, this central Valley, I grew up here. It's my home and I, I understand it, but Mark, you come from Mm -hmm. a bit of a different place. So why don't you tell us about that? Yeah. I was raised in Naperville, Illinois, which sounds like a small town. Some people even think I'm saying neighborville, (laughs) Illinois, but it's Naperville, named after Joseph and John Naper, who settled there. Uh, And at one point, Naperville was even larger than Chicago um, a long, long time ago as Illinois was sort of being founded. But um, the town that I grew up in, I think, was about 80,000 people when I Hmm. was a kid. And then by the time I graduated college, it was about 140,000 people. Oh wow! And so it it just absolutely exploded in growth hmm. in the '90s, in particular. Yeah. Um. And so, 
it was very suburban, but there were all cornfields to the west of Naperville. And, and still there are hmm. a few cornfields that you would pass as you're driving west of Naperville um, towards hmm. towns called Oswego and Yorkville and so forth. Um, hmm. If people have seen the movie Wayne's World, it's set in Aurora, Illinois, which is where I worked growing up. And Aurora, Naperville, Joliet sort of make a triangle of about 500,000 people. Hmm. And, wow. and so... Um, yeah, there's a lot of people there, and I have served though in uh, in Sumas, Washington, which is a very small town, um, mm-hmm. rural in the fullest sense. 900 people, no stoplights. Um, it was on the Canadian border, and so there was a good amount of traffic going through Sumas to cross the border into Canada. Yeah. But a very rural town. I um, one thing you mentioned is that people knew really knew each other in Kingsburg. Yeah. And I think that's maybe one of the main markers of rural <laughs> versus suburban or mm-hmm. urban is that you you know your neighbors, there's generational relationships that happen in smaller towns. Yeah. Um, maybe that's changing a little bit as people are more transient now than they were 30 or 40 years ago, but that describes Sumas, where people go to, to school together, they go to school with their hmm. um, sort of, group of 40 or 50 and then that goes all the way up through high school and then someday they have kids and their kids are friends with their friends kids from you know uh yeah from before, uh, 30 years ago and so forth <laughs> i think that's describes ripon and yeah. i would guess it probably describes kingsburg and mm-hmm. i would guess the smaller the town the more that probably describes people where there's just a, a tight interconnectedness mm-hmm. so people might think rural and just think farming but um, maybe we have a little bit more of a sociological definition as yeah. we think of Ripon. And so Ripon is about 15,000 people. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's a little strange in a number of ways. We have a freeway going right down the middle of Ripon. So we're split in two. Yeah. And, and that makes it feel more connected to large towns like Modesto and Stockton and Manteca. Mm-hmm. But yet at the same time, it is completely surrounded by almond orchards and yeah. so has um, definitely a farm feel to it. You'll see tractors yep. occasionally driving um, outside town down the, the country roads. And there's definitely a lot of agricultural industry in Ripon. Um, it's called the almond capital of, of the world, I think, actually, is what it says on our some of our signs. <laughs> and um, hence our church's name. Yes. Almond, almond Valley. Valley. Right. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, now we serve both in, in a more rural context, that's morphing a little bit into suburban as the Bay Area sure, yeah. um, bedroom communities kind of reach out this direction. Yeah, we jokingly referred to Ripon as we were talking about this episode as sub-rural, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> suburban right. slash rural. Yeah. Uh, and we think about our own context, too, of the neighboring towns around us and towns that you know, are sort of filter into the local Christian school, which is here in Ripon. Uh, those towns are far more rural, mm-hmm. you might say, than Ripon itself. Ripon is sort of a mixture of of rural and suburbia, uh, sort of mixed into one. Uh, and, and our church is a good reflection of that mm-hmm. as well. So mm-hmm. uh, I wouldn't say we're in the most rural place, but we are definitely in a in a context where there is that small town feel, at least where people really do, as we said, know each other. They know each other's history. They know each other's parents and grandchildren. And that's just kind of the place we're at. Uh, we have a good mixture of 
of people who work from in sort of office industries where uh, they may uh, be inside all day. And we have a lot of people who work outdoors mm-hmm. um, on, on in farms or working with their hands, different kinds of, of labor. And so Ripon is an interesting context to be in, but culturally, and I, I think sociologically, we would fall more under that uh, rural category than anything else. Yeah, I, it's pretty common in our church that people have lived in their house for 30 or 40 years. Yeah. And, you know, you'll find some of that in the suburbs, but, um, and, you know, in, in urban areas mm-hmm. as well, like there's generational um, kind of ties to community, and we recognize that. But, like, I think of one family, the Vissers in our church, they live on the land where their grandfather was born. Mm-hmm. And so um, that was in about the World War One era, I believe. Yep. And so that that's um, I wouldn't say common, but it's not uncommon. Yeah. It's not all that uncommon either. It's it's sort of a, a fairly normal thing that there's this yeah. generational connectivity or rootedness in mm-hmm. the in the town, and yeah. a lot of identity also kind of wrapped up in what it means to be from Ripon too. Yeah, I I read an interesting article that kind of. I think pertains to this conversation. I read it several years ago. Uh, it's called from front porch to patio hmm. uh, or from porch to patio. And I believe the guy's name here, I can look it up, have it pulled up here, Richard Thomas. And I found it from a website called front porch huh. uh, which is sort of a, a, a little journal that I don't even think it's still uh, happening anymore. I don't think they're still publishing material. Uh, but one of the articles that they linked to on this website ha- had a really interesting essay just noting the architectural shift in America from the 1860s to the 1960s. And one of those big shifts, as the title of the essay implies, is that the focus of a, ch- of a, of a house in the 19th century was the front porch. It was the place where many Many people would gather, people would sit and take a break from household chores or, and you'd sit there and you'd, you'd wave to people who ride by on their horse or on their horse and buggy Mm -hmm. and it was a slower pace and you lived sort of with a sort of an intermediary zone between your house, your home and the world outside. And it was more public, right? You, you would wave to your neighbors as they would ride by and you would stop and chat with somebody who was sitting on their porch if they were welcoming and they invited you to come chat with, with them. Kids run up to the porch and yep. invite their friends over to play and yep. that's just life. Yeah, it's all outdoors. It, it also mentions how the porch was used as a place for courting where a young man may be allowed to sit with a man's daughter and they were kind of within earshot and within view, but they kind of had some privacy and mm. it mentions how many, many uh, proposals happened on front porches in those days. Uh, Probably and, in cities too. I mean, that's my parents' upbringing in Cicero and Berlin, hmm. Illinois, which was quite urban. But yeah. yet at the same time, uh, there were there was the, the Polish neighborhood, the Italian neighborhood, hmm. the Dutch neighborhood, and, and it was people out on their front porches even there, too. Yeah. And so the essay notes the shift then from the front porch to the back patio being sort of the, one of the featured designs of homes in mid-century America. And how the world was moving at a faster pace. Now we all had cars, garages began to pop up and become an an institution as far as American Mm. home architecture goes. And you would 
pull into your garage, close the garage door. And if you wanted to spend time outside, you wouldn't do it out front because then you'd have to talk to people and you were kind of hoping to shut people out. Uh, and you would then kind of reclusively go to your mm. back patio. And I think that that's an interesting essay, just noting that sort of cultural shift and and thinking about this essay, I think small towns are kind of those towns where maybe there are still back patios. My house has a much bigger back patio than a front porch. Uh, but the sort of bonds of the community are still there. Everything is sort of, it's, it's a little slower paced. It's more rooted. You, you, you sort of know your neighbors mm-hmm. uh, a little bit more. There's not the anonymity of, of the city or the urban context. And so this brings about I think various blessings and various challenges when it comes to how we uh, serve the mission of Christ in this world and how we uh, fulfill the great commission that we are called to do. And so I think we, we could start with talking about the blessings. I don't yeah. know about you, Mark, but having been sort of born and raised in this sort of environment, my hometown is a lot like Ripon. I tell this to people often. Hmm. I, I've come to love uh, this sort of environment. Hmm. I see so many blessings to it. I don't think I could really live. I'm not, I'm not cut out for uh, a big city environment. I'm not sure I would be at home in a, in a major city or even in a relatively large city like Fresno, which is only 500,000. Uh, I like I like the small towns <laughs> of, of this size. And, and so... I think that there's lots of blessings, but there definitely are, are challenges. Yeah, I, I particularly find Ripon, where we live, to be uh, an amazing place to live. One thing hmm. that we were realizing is the real blessing that we have in Ripon of uh, a, a great mixture of different types of work that people do. And so mm-hmm. you already mentioned people who work in offices, people who work with their hands um, it, yeah, as mechanics and um, electricians, plumbers. Um, you're going to have that in a city, but then there's also this great mix of a lot of farmers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were thinking about who is on our council, for example, and our our church mm-hmm. council is about half farmers. Yeah. We realized uh, elders. There's a there there are three of our six elders, I believe, are farmers. Yeah, and then um, deacons. Two of our six deacons are farmers, and mm-hmm. so um, with that really comes a, a certain approach to. To life and to mm-hmm. getting things done in a certain way. Um, not every farmer is is the same, of course. You don't want to stereotype, but uh, there is mm-hmm. definitely a um, a blessing of having a mix of mm-hmm. uh, people who um, who think um, maybe a little bit differently about issues um, in an, in an office setting, or maybe think a little bit more abstractly mm-hmm. um, than the farmer who has to. Get yeah. things done today, and and fix the fix the thing that's not working today, and and have yeah. the schedule, and pay attention to the weather. It's it's a very um, earthly calling in a lot mm-hmm. of really cool ways, and almost in the best way, where yeah, um, there's there is a result to the work that they do, mm-hmm. and, and an effect, an immediate effect, often to the work that they're doing. And it's great to have um, people who think in that way on our council. Um, oh yeah. Again, yeah, not 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 just to to stereotype too much because not all farmers are that way, and not all people who work in offices are just thinking philosophically. Or <laughs> yeah, abstractly. we're treading on some difficult ground here. Yeah, because we don't want to stereotype. But but it, there is that mix for sure. Um, yeah. And uh, Ripon is a really cool context also because hmm. it's 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 a nice blend too of honoring that 
type of work as a farmer. Yeah, we, totally. we love our farmers. And um, I think that in um, maybe in the media, there there can be a, a particular disdain for, for farmers because of the... Uh, the perception that they're ruining the environment in some way, which is just insane, of course. Mm-hmm. Or they're wasting um, all of our... Yeah, you know, they're wasting water. water yeah, yeah. Resources. Um, to grow food for <laughs> for America and for the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but but here, I just find among those um, th- those people who who work in other fields, there, there remains an appreciation for the farmer in a lot yeah. of ways, which is, is really cool to see that, that, that mix coming together. So, and I think that's reciprocated too yeah. in our, in our town and in our context there, there is a, I think a growing appreciation from farmers or those who work in agricultural industries, mm-hmm. uh, to those who, who don't. Uh, I think that there's sort of a, I don't know, a symbiotic relationship. Uh, we all work together, and yeah. it's cool to see that. Um, so what would you say are some of the other blessings? I, I know for, for me, yeah. I, I would say the strong family values that are that exist in towns like this. There's, as we've said already several times, that sort of tight-knit community feel. And I think what, what I love so much about this, there's, there's several things that... Uh, one of those things is a sort of baseline respect for the faith. Now, this is an interesting thing to bring up because I think that even in small towns, uh, this sort of respect for the Christian faith, uh, it's fading. It's mm. fading across the U.S. Mm-hmm. It's evaporating. It's going away. It won't be here forever. And I think a big part of this is sort of our, our globalization, our interconnectedness, particularly through social media. But even still, there is a general sense of appreciation for the church mm-hmm. um yeah i could give a couple examples quickly the little yeah. league season here opens with prayer yeah um city council has a list of pastors mm-hmm. and we open city council meetings with, with, prayer. with prayer i don't know I, I would guess that happens in other places too yeah but um when i go and lead prayer at the city council meeting there is definitely um a reverence. As I look around, I know many churchgoers on city council. Um, mm-hmm. One man from our church used to be the mayor for a little while. Um, there's there's definitely that that connectedness to mm-hmm. not just community in general, but to church community. That's pretty yeah. strong. Yeah. I see this at a ministry that I help out with called Thursday Lunch. It's a mm-hmm. great original name, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> but it's a, it's a ministry that a few churches here in town do for the local public high school students. There's about eight or 900 students, I believe, at this high school. And we, on a given week, we'll get about 150 students coming in and we give them a free meal. And we simply ask that they just respect us, uh, respect the people who are serving them. And if there's ever a message, which we do about every other week, we give some sort of Bible message to them for about 10 minutes. We just ask that they listen. And for the most part, these students, and I've sort of anecdotally noticed that probably about 40 of 40% of them are church-going students. Um, They're all extremely respectful. There are a Mm. few times where we'll get comments. We have little cards that we leave on the tables for them to write Mm. their prayer requests, and sometimes they use those as comment cards. And we've gotten a few things about, oh, you you dumb Christians, Mm. we're taking advantage of you. We're just stealing your free food. We don't care anything about what you have to say. But that's like of... The thousands of kids that have come through this, maybe one or two. So yeah, yeah. it's not a very 
a big proportion of them. And, and in fact, I would say that they're very respectful when we pray. Everybody is quiet, whether or not they're Christians or not. Uh, and so there is that sort of uh, that that's that's something that I th- I think is a blessing. Uh, it also sort of makes our our work easier in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, we have more sort of sort of capital mm-hmm. as the church, mm-hmm. but I can also prevent or cause uh, different challenges as well. And so generally, however, I'd put that under the blessings category myself. Yeah, and I I think we can contrast that to what I would imagine more of a suburban context. I know that there would hmm. be urban communities, particularly ethnic urban communities like Korean, black communities, hmm. uh, Hispanic communities, where there is extreme interconnectedness and maybe even still a front porch culture yeah. Um, in a lot of those places. Yeah. Um, but I contrast how we're describing Ripon to the suburban context where I grew up, where mm. maybe a tiny bit of a front porch culture, but definitely very atomized mm. uh, and very individualistic. And so um, Naperville mm. was a, like I said, it grew like crazy. So almost no one was from Naperville. Yeah, and, and so they were kind of transplanted in, and maybe they worked at the big British Petroleum Laboratory or um, Staples uh, World Headquarters is right near Naperville and mm-hmm. so forth. And so they're sort of there to work, yeah, and they're not really there to enjoy community. And there'd be a few community events where they would go to, like the Memorial Day Parade, and mm-hmm. there's a Fourth of July thing that happened too. But even that is is viewed in a very consumeristic way. Like I'm going to yeah. go there, and I'm not really going there to um, engage with community. I'm going there because it's fun, and I want to get some good food for, yeah. for me. Um, and so I think there could be some parallels, interestingly, to rural and uh, an ethnic urban community. Yeah, and it, it sort of leapfrogs over the suburbs in a lot of ways, where where people are just basically doing their own thing. And and it's probably also mm. in those suburban contexts where there's a little bit more apathy towards church, towards mm. the Christian message, um, maybe a little bit more of the attitude of, um, I can work hard to achieve my dreams and just um, make it happen in an individualistic kind of way. Yeah, what need um, do I have for that? Right, and, uh, and I think the rural context in which we serve maintains some community connectedness mm-hmm. um, in the dependence mm-hmm. um, factor as well, where yeah. uh, children grow up to recognize how, how blessed they are by their grandparents mm-hmm. and how blessed they are by their church and by teachers who know their name and care for them and yeah. and so forth. And so I, I think that that is there in some of those other contexts, but um, it's a real blessing to see it. Like um, yeah, Even just thinking of our church where my son... His his kindergarten teacher comes to our church is a member mm-hmm. of our church, and then you know there's a fourth grade teacher at our church, and there's yeah. uh, some middle school teachers and some high school, a bunch of high school teachers, and there's this synergy to life, right? Um, that really you're not going to see as much in the suburbs, where yeah. um, you're going to church and being served communion by somebody who was your teacher, mm-hmm. and um, sitting in council with somebody mm-hmm. who was your teacher 30 yeah, years ago. Yeah, which happens at, at churches like ours. <laughs> yeah, we just talked about that at our elders meeting, um, where two of our elders had one of the elders as their teacher, yeah. their, their high school history teacher. And um, 
I, I don't, I, I kind of doubt that happens very much in suburbs. There, that interconnectedness yeah. is, is more frayed because of its transience. I think what this gives us and what it affords people who live in contexts like ours is an inherited generational wisdom, mm. a, a way of living that is passed on. Now, this can be really thick and in some sense constraining for some people. Uh, and so small small towns can create boxes for people to live in and you have to you if you don't really fit the box then you're you're not really one of us that can be a way that small towns can make you feel growing up in a small town like I did it was more common I think for young people that I was growing up with wanting to get out of Kingsburg that was a common <laughs> phrase and maybe that's true for people in Ripon too uh, I don't think our kids are dying to get out of Ripon, but a lot of them do want to go and see the world a little yeah, bit more. At least for a while. Uh, yeah. but, but one of the great things in all of this is that when you grow up with your parents and your grandparents and you have these communities like this, uh, I think kids are given great gifts and seeing great exemplars in the faith, uh, people who are living a life worthy of imitation. And I, I think that you... You can pass down generational wisdom uh, better in contexts like this where there's not that atomization mm. that has taken place. And so that's something that I think is really, really great about towns like this. And there's a, there is a, a thick way of life. Mm-hmm. It can be sometimes exclusive feeling for newcomers to towns like this. Mm-hmm. Um, even me who came from a similar town, just getting to know people and they have so much history with each other. It's hard for a newcomer to sort of break into that and Mm -hmm. be a part of it. Uh, But you can, if you're committed and if you're willing to uh, sort of be seen as an outsider for a time. And if you come with a sense of love for, for people who live in a small town or who have (laughs) always lived in in a small town. Yeah. Uh, But none of this is to say that there's not challenges. There's certainly challenges also to contexts like our own. There's things that uh, pastors in particular will bump up against that will be difficulties. Um, Mm -hmm. One thing for me that I I struggled with coming here as a 27-year-old was that there weren't a whole lot of people uh, in my age group uh, in our church or in the town in general. I think one of the reasons for this is that these small towns, uh, people go off to college and many of them will relocate after Mm -hmm. that. And don't necessarily feel a burden to come back. Uh, now, that's maybe a unique feature of Ripon. Uh, similar towns around Ripon, uh, I, I get the feeling that there's less of a pipeline to college. Hmm. And so young people will stay back more. That's sort of just my guess, hmm. my sense. Uh, Ripon, there's sort of the pipeline of go to college and then see what happens after that. Especially at the Christian school, that's encouraged yeah. to go to Dort, especially. Yep. And yeah. so Dort is halfway across the country, and so at, after you go to Dort, many kids don't don't return. Some do, mm-hmm. uh, but what what Ripon has then is it has some young families. Of course, it's a great place for young families uh, if you can afford to live here there's a higher cost of living yeah. a little bit and so that is one thing to consider but 
That's that's rare for small towns, though. Like yeah. that's California small town. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that that may be true. Generally, it's cheap in Iowa and and so forth. I think. Yeah. yeah. So that that's been a challenge just for me personally. What what are some other challenges yeah. of of our context that we find ourselves in? Yeah, you um, raised a really good issue where it's can be hard to break into community and really feel like a part of the community if yeah. you didn't grow up in Ripon. Yeah, you don't have that history. Um, I think that that's that's a complicated issue because hmm. for somebody who approaches a small town thinking it's a suburb and hmm. there will just be all these like a small town church uh, thinking it's like a suburban church um, there will be assumptions of what that church should be providing for you hmm. and so again growing up in a suburban context yeah. it, it was very consumeristic in how people thought of church and so they go to the the church that has uh, it's the most exciting, you know, yeah, it, best it's, programs. it's the biggest, it has the best, best program. It, it can give me the best product. Yeah. Um, however, if somebody comes into a small town and approaches mm. it accepting and even embracing the community, mm-hmm. um, not so much as a product, but as something that they're really, really striving for and desiring, like what has happened in our own church where yeah. some people were just really hungry for a church community where people know one another, where mm-hmm. where Zach and I know their kids' names, yeah. um, where there's a, a real sense of of not just communion during worship service in the sacramental <laughs> sense, but yeah. communion in you know everyone showing up at the chili cookoff together. Yeah, uh, if somebody approaches a church in a small town, loving and embracing what a small town church really is. Hmm. Which probably isn't going to be so flashy, then right. then they're really going to love that, and so it's it's kind of a a tricky thing to say. It's just a challenge. I think that a small town right. can be a, a real challenge for a suburban minded person mm-hmm. who wants ten restaurants to choose from and hmm. the movie theater right down the street and so and so forth, mm-hmm. um, and who also kind of foists that understanding onto what church then should also mm-hmm. be. Most small towns are not going to have that exciting church. Yeah. That that's just bursting at the seams and doing all kinds of amazing, exciting, yeah. uh, outwardly, visibly um impressive things. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, I would say uh especially if any pastors are listening to this, um, and if there would be any pastors, I mean this is a very small group, but thinking about going to a small town church, it's to let go of your desire to make that church in a, a worldly impressive church. Yeah. And like I want to be honest, I probably had a lot of that in my own mind when I went to Sumas hmm. and then still it there was some residue of that when I came to Ripon. Hmm. And by now I have learned to love what what Almond Valley is yeah. in its small townness and then the more I I yeah. appreciate and am content in that the more I just see there's blessing everywhere. Yeah, and the, and the best way to bring any change to a church is to love that church for what it is, yeah. not for what you want it to be. Yeah, uh, and It's sort of like with marriage. <laughs> I think you love the person first. Don't, yeah. don't be so worried about changing them. Uh, and if you do want to see any change, because we all need change, you do that not through nagging or prodding, yep. but through yep. love and through care yep. and commitment and I think one of the challenges, though, I think it, uh, maybe I'm pushing back a little bit. Mm. I think one of the challenges with the tight-knittedness of mm-hmm. small-town churches is that 
that pastor's face is is helping our flocks be more hospitable and aware that there are people who are coming mm. who mm-hmm. may not be looking for a small town church but may be needing exactly that yeah uh, yeah and so I think one of the challenges is I don't know how to articulate it helping people to see that we don't just want to welcome people who are wanting to be here. We should be welcoming people who who come in looking for that programmatic church. Mm-hmm. We should love them too. We should love uh, people of, of different walks of life who come into this community and into our church. And so creating a hospitable environment for all. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean yeah. the programs and the, the crazy chaotic kids ministries with all the cool stuff, uh, but just being able to think about what 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 might, what might a person from a different place who comes in here new to town what might they see yeah. and how can i sort of set the table for them more and be accommodating and loving and caring for them and so that yeah. th- that's i think maybe a challenge of a sort oh for sure helping people to be more more hospitable and i i think our church one of our strengths is being welcoming uh but i i think one of the other challenges that sort of mi- is mixed along with this is the the idea that a lot of people from small towns who have lived in small towns for so long don't have the experience of yeah. of living in other places. And mm-hmm. this is I, I'm wading into <laughs> controversial water. I agree. I, I, I hear that. Um, so there can be a little bit of myopia. In seeing um, things from a different perspective, um, uh, kind of just assuming the Ripon way is the right way in our context, yeah. um, or the Sumas way in my last church, there's definitely some of that. Yeah, and um, there can be such a, a, a cultural pride or a town yeah, pride, a yeah. civic pride, that if you don't come in taking our ways, then you're then you're wrong, and you're really yep. not welcome here. Yep. Uh, one of the fun things of living in Ripon is being on the Ripon uh, Facebook groups, uh, just where it's not just our church, but it's just anybody from our town. And there can sometimes be a sense of such pride and mm-hmm. Ripon being Ripon, and we don't want those people because they're not like us. They mm-hmm. don't belong here. And that is something that I think is a challenge in a small town context, not letting that sort of mentality invade the church. Oh, yeah. And And... We should see those who look different than us, think differently than us, uh, as as a wonderful opportunity to uh, shed Christ's love uh, to different pe- people and places. And that's really where I see the Spirit working in a church like ours, um, is to help people get out of that worldly mindset, um, which is hmm. more insular and um, less empathetic, probably, for what yeah. other people are going to, but... What I do see is people who are probably wired that way and who were trained to think that way hmm. stepping out of that actually a lot yeah. in our church. Um, maybe two examples of that that I've seen where people surprised surprised me with their hospitality is uh, when you arrived, Zach, I yeah. had mentioned that um, I think it was your first Sunday here. I There was a sign-up sheet, right, to have you over mm-hmm. for dinner. And I just made the announcement um, I was new once in a t- in a town, and I yeah. didn't know anybody. Just like Zach knows no one in Ripon, yep. and I th- I think I had said I went a year without having a meal with someone, and yeah. um and that and so, and th- I think that the spirit 
use that to kind of wake people up to think, oh, there's a lot of people around here who who need for me to open mm-hmm. my home and not just think in terms of my family and this church and that sign up yeah. sheet was full after that afternoon, <laughs> yeah. I think, right? And so So I was busy the next few weeks yeah, going, going to, people's to have homes. meals with people. And and you were single as well. And so I yeah, was single I married. when I moved to Bellingham, Washington too. And um you know, you know, there were the exceptions, of course. I mean, I would go up to see Pam, but but generally speaking, mm-hmm. I was always, always, always eating alone. Yep. And and so that a lot of people actually came up to me and said, hmm. I never thought of that. And yeah. so thank you for mentioning that that this is something we need to think about Um, another one would be my sabbatical process and and the approval process included a town hall meeting Hmm. and i know that a lot of people in our church maybe were a little bit skeptical of the sabbatical idea Um, they work really hard a lot of the hardest working people i've ever known are in our church Mm -hmm. and um they don't lord it over you they just they do work hard though and and like some people say they work hard. Uh, these people work hard. <laughs> they really do. They're, especially mm-hmm. during harvest season, it's it's amazing the amount of work that happens yeah. in this town. And um, and so the idea of an eleven week sabbatical for me as a pastor, yeah. who who I don't work with my hands, I don't physically work that hard, um, was a little bit difficult for people in this context to to approve and wrap their head around. Except for when I mentioned that. Um, a part of the purpose of the sabbatical is that our children will get to know their grandparents better because um, my my family is in Indiana, my wife's family is in British Columbia, mm. we're in Central California, so we're n- nowhere near them. And basically I mm. said during that town hall meeting, my children do not know their grandparents. They don't know them. They, mm-hmm. they uh, talk to them on the phone a little bit here and there and we get visits from them and we'll go to see them but we just need some time with them. And yeah. and that sparked some sympathy, I think, from a lot of, I could mm. even see the light bulbs pop, like turning on like, oh, mm. I see my grandkids every week in church. Yeah. And I see my grandkids, they come over after school three times a week. And I love that mm-hmm. is how I see some some of the boomer generation thinking and then all, and then, yeah, okay, P- Pastor, you do need to go and spend some time with your family. So, mm. That's where the spirit does work to break down that maybe yeah. a little bit of hostility towards a new idea, and um, you know that the uh, the stereotype, I guess, uh, can be can be corrected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you might say, and, and people th- hear a new idea, examine it with scripture, like the Bereans, and say that does seem good to us. Yeah, <laughs> I think you you mentioned that there another maybe challenge, and I, all these challenges are not I, I'm. I stress that they're not disadvantages of our context. They mm-hmm. are challenges, and challenges are opportunities for for ministry and for people to become more like Christ. And so, yeah, there, there can be a sort of settledness in our ways mm-hmm. in small yeah. towns. We've always done it this way. Mm-hmm. Maybe a thing that you common commonly hear. And so that can be another challenge of, uh, no, we're not going to change. There's a resistance to change. And sometimes pastors... I think always pastors should be <laughs> not uh, preaching to the choir, but should be preaching mm. to their flock. And this will mean that pastors don't just pat everybody on the back, but sometimes there has to be change. Yeah. There has to be repentance. There has to be a, a, a new way forward, a way that hasn't been done before. And so this can be difficult in contexts uh, like ours where uh, 
change and growth and quote unquote progress is not uh, the order of the day, uh, but there's a love for slowness mm-hmm. and for a slow pace of life. And those are good things, but that can, that can be challenging. Uh, and there can be a settledness of, of people's sort of collective convictions on things. Mm-hmm. And those may need to be, uh, challenged a little bit as well. Uh, it's no, no surprise to anyone listening to this or to anyone in the world that rural places tend to be more uh, conservative socially, economically, theologically, and urban places tend to be more uh, liberal uh, in all of those same ways. And so there's going to be good things and bad things yeah. about this. There will be challenges and blessings. And so pastors in contexts like ours may need to uh, remind people that yes, the Bible says things like pure religion is helping widows and orphans in their distress. Yeah. Uh, Jesus talks a lot about helping the poor. Uh, those are not things we can skip over because we want to uh, make our people like us. We need to preach those things just as sharply as we preach everything else mm-hmm. and with just as much conviction and passion as we preach everything else. And sometimes in towns like ours, that may bump up against collective ideals that people have uh, and so be it. That's mm-hmm. the calling of a pastor. Not to be rude, not to shove it down their throats, but to remind them of what God's word said and what it says and so how we should therefore live in light of it. Yeah, that some people might wonder, if I preach a sermon from Matthew 25, which I have done, or preach um, uh, hmm. several weeks ago, I preached a sermon, a biographical sermon on Frederick Douglass about uh, slavery, racism, and um, also use the modern day corollary of abortion. Um, hmm. Some people would say, how does that go in a rural town? I mean, are people just ready to tar and feather you afterwards? Um, yeah. Our church is wonderful for responding. If, if they can see I've preached the word, if they can see that I've been studying the Bible and I'm not up there parroting um, political talking points, yeah. um, then people are very, very receptive and thankful for mm-hmm. uh, for what I I preach, including at times challenging, um, for example, watching too much Fox News. Hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Just large amounts of, of cable media, or cable news, especially Fox News, just knowing our context mm-hmm. um, and, and really challenging people to think hard about that. Some people have really thanked me for that and said, I, I have watched less, I do feel better now. And yeah. um, or some even turning it off altogether and saying, "Wow, that it's really good for me to get news from a different source." So, um, so that does happen, and the spirit is revealing uh, ways that people can grow. Um, and so, I I guess I say that as a bit of a corrective that people in these small towns just don't want to hear about that stuff. Hmm. There are a lot who don't. And I would mm-hmm. guess there are many, many non-church-going people in a town like Ripon that mm-hmm. really don't want to hear that stuff. And they'll just associate a confrontation of racism. Oh, that's CRT. We don't need to think about that. Yeah, um, yeah. They'll just dismiss it out of hand. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of that, I'm sure, in Ripon. Mm. Um, but then I find the church-going person, at least at our in our congregation, as long as they can see it's from God's word and and they can be convinced this is the way of Christ, they're yeah. really open to that. Um, yeah. And so we have a thriving homeless lunch ministry, and I've gotten tons of encouragement to mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. um, to resume our um, prison ministry as well. And, um, you know, the, the Spirit does work uh, towards yeah. uh, making people compassionate and, and justice-minded and merciful in, in a church like ours. Mm-hmm. Um, now, maybe if we shift gears just heading into the conclusion here, I sure. want to think a little bit about the Christian Reformed Church and how hmm. um, we are a, um, a very rural denomination, historically, yeah, historically. historically extremely rural denomination, now becoming less so as, as yeah. like you mentioned, people move to suburbs and so forth, and even as towns like Ripon change and transform. Yeah. And so um, I know that there are people who listen to this podcast who are in rural settings, um, some faithful listeners who are pastors throughout, for example, the Midwest um, yeah. and California for that matter. And so um, I, I want to speak a little bit to um, what I sense at times is, um, is some disdain that is reciprocal in the CRC, where there's, mm. there can often be this battle between the rural Christian Reformed churches and the more urban or suburban Christian Reformed churches. I quite frankly saw a good amount of this in the last classes where I served and Hmm. don't really experience that as much in in our current classes, but there was a stark divide Hmm. um, uh, between churches that that were uh, sort of historic, you know, 7,500-year-old churches and churches that were just starting up uh, theologically, politically, Hmm. um, even polity-wise. And so what I would want to encourage is if somebody is listening to this podcast in a suburban or urban context to value the rural Christian Reformed Church hmm. um, where there is uh, a lot of good happening, there's justice work being done, there's the gospel mm-hmm. being preached, um, the Spirit of God is really at work. I know that, um, that there can be a caricature of Linden yeah. and Ripon and Sioux Center and um, all, all of these different uh, kind of hubs of, right. of rural Christian reform life. Pella being another example, Hollandale, mm-hmm. Minnesota. Um, you, you, can, you can think of about several more, I'm sure, and, and see that we, we do have a lot of mm-hmm. rural congregations that really have contributed greatly to the Christian reform church. And so to appreciate that, and and recognize that that the Lord has done some good things through it. Yeah, I think that the movement within the last decade or so has been to really hype up and trump up the greatness of urban church planting. And this is, you know, we can think of it's where it's at. It's yeah, it's the yeah. hot the hot thing, uh, planting churches in strategic cities. Mm-hmm. And we look at the, at Paul's missionary journeys. Oh, look, he's he's going to these big cities, uh, but. Actually, there's lots of little cities that Paul stops in at too, mm-hmm. and sometimes he even doesn't go to the big city you would think he would go to. He goes to smaller cities. Paul is just sort of going wherever the Spirit is leading him, and yes, he visits big cities. He cares to go to big cities. He wants to go to Rome. He gets to Rome. Mm-hmm. He even talks about wanting to go to Spain. We don't know which cities in Spain, but you you know that he has this this church planting heart, but he doesn't look over the little cities. I think he cares very much about these little cities and about the faithfulness of people in those cities. And so it's it's important to keep that sort of thing in mind. The gospel is for all people. Yeah. And I think even reciprocating what, you're, what you've just said, 
people in small towns like ours should appreciate yeah. urban churches. Yeah, that was the next And we should be thankful to, for what they're doing. Yeah. And we shouldn't see each other with so much suspicion or disdain. We should really appreciate and learn to value that there are different challenges and different blessings of each context. I'm thankful for faithful believers who live in cities. I, well, A, as I said already, I struggle with big cities. I don't like being in a big city for too long. (laughs) Give me maybe a night or two, and then I need to go back to my small town. The hustle and the bustle gets to me. But I'm very thankful that there are people who are living witnesses to Christ in places where, in some ways, it is much more difficult to be a faithful Christian. And so, I, yeah. I have a lot of admiration and respect for people in, in major metropolitan areas. Yeah, there are a lot of conversations in the CRC right now that the rural and the urban, suburban, particularly Grand Rapids churches mm-hmm. are um, unfortunately kind of pitted against one another. If we just want to call things mm-hmm. out to be kind of the, the true situation of what is happening. This is on a classical level in some classes. Again, right. not so much in ours, but um, maybe, I don't know, some people might feel that way towards towards Ripon, I guess. Um, hmm. But uh, th- there's, um, so there's not just the theological conversation that's happening, but there's the cultural thing that is often um, hmm. some disdain for maybe the politics or the culture oh, or... Yeah. Um, or, or so forth of of a more small town. I think of it mm-hmm. a little bit like um, the rivalry between the Celtics and the Lakers in the '80s, where um, <laughs> obviously Boston wanted to beat LA, and and there was more to it than just sports. Mm-hmm. So there was a culture of Boston, and there's a culture of LA. Yeah. And, there, and again, quite frankly, there's a lot of white guys on the Celtics, and there's all black guys except for Kurt Rambis on the uh, the Lakers, <laughs> and. There, so there, there's like this this desire to win the game, but then there's also kind of an mm-hmm. undercurrent of oh, yeah. of further disdain um, between Boston and LA, and um, and so I think that's happening a lot of times in the CRC too, mm-hmm. where there, there's kind of a theological flashpoint or or um, uh, issue that's being discussed, but underneath it, there's yeah. kind of a dislike of the rural towards the urban mm-hmm. or the urban towards the rural churches. And I, I hope that we can move past that a little bit. Um, even as we contrast rural and suburban, rural and urban churches, mm-hmm. we don't really do so to say um, we're so great or we're, we're just better right. than other churches, right. but we do want to say we feel really blessed to be in this wonderful congregation in this beautiful town. And we know that people would be blessed to serve in Stockton or mm-hmm. um, downtown San Francisco or downtown Chicago, or, or wherever they serve. But um, maybe moving into my last point, I guess, that I would want to make is, is, again, a call out to hmm. Christian Reformed pastors in particular, that that um, that we are a, a very rural denomination. And so um, I've seen it happen before and quite a few times where there is some resentment of that among the pastorate in the CRC. Yeah, And uh, I would just kind of plead with, with people uh, if pastors are going to re- to take a call to an, a rural church, yeah. um, to seek to love that church and not to uh, have a, a kind of condescension towards the culture of mm-hmm. these people that you're serving, they're so backwards they just don't oh, get it. They, I just need I am the enlightened one who's going to show up in um, X Y Z small town and um, I'm going to really tell them what Jesus is about because mm-hmm. they don't understand. Right. Um, 
honestly, it happens a lot in the Christian Reformed Church. And um, maybe it could happen the other direction too, where mm -hmm. somebody who has been raised in a more traditional uh, setting would, yeah. would go to the city thinking that they're going to turn the whole thing around mm -hmm. and um, has kind of the, the gnosis, right? That the secret knowledge yeah. that, that these people need. Um, but I, I've seen it more happen where the the pastor, uh, you know, or the, the seminarian goes to, to Calvin and then um, just looking for a call ends up at a rural church and yeah. man, these fuddy duddies just don't get it. They don't know who Jesus yeah. is. I'm the one who knows and they, they're never going to change. <laughs> I mean, um, I was told by a pastor um, hmm. while I was at Sumas, they're never going to change. They just just give up, basically, is what a pastor told me in my first few years of ministry. Now, he was, again, from a, a more urban setting, suburban setting, um, with some disdain for the town that I was living in. Yeah. And that's happening a lot in the CRC, and I think it's, it, it's, it's pretty bad, actually. It's pretty serious. Yeah, so I, I hope what's communicated yeah. through all of this is a ability to learn to appreciate yeah. one another and listen to one another well yeah we can it sounds maybe like we're just doing a little bit of kumbaya here but i, I think that there's there's genuine value in seeing that pastors in all contexts and churches in all contexts need prayer yeah they need our love our support uh it's a great thing that our classes stretch beyond just a certain metropolitan area <laughs> that our classes do incorporate very small town churches and very big city churches there's there's churches in our classes here in central california that are in the bay area some are in san francisco mm -hmm. and some are in towns like oakdale california if yeah. you know anything about oakdale it's the self-proclaimed <laughs> cowboy capital of the world uh, which is a bit striking Some people for, in texas <laughs> might yeah, disagree exactly yeah. <laughs> uh but you see a pretty big difference culturally between yeah. those two places and they are only two hours apart uh, and so that's a blessing and we should learn and be eager to support and cheer on ministry in those contexts uh, because the gospel is not just for any one kind of people. It is for all people. Yep. Therefore, pastors must do their jobs well uh, in seeking to present Christ, to preach Christ, to proclaim Christ everywhere. Yeah. So thanks for listening, everyone. And um, let us know what the context of your church is, and I'm, I'm sure there are lots of <laughs> yeah. listeners in Ripon who might agree or disagree with how we characterize yeah, the town. Yeah, that would be interesting. <laughs> um, but uh, thanks for listening, and uh, continue to spread the word about uh, Reform Podmatics. This has been a really fun project for us, and we've seen the channel grow a lot um, over over the last year or two um, by now, and so it, it's a really cool thing that we get to do um, and so thank you for listening. Have a good rest of your week. Yeah, grace and peace, you guys.